This morning, as we hear your word, as you speak into our lives with your grace, fill us, empower us with the Holy Spirit, so that out of that amazing grace, we may have a strong and steadfast faith in the midst of the struggles, the difficulties, and the brokenness of our life. Thank you for a grace that gives us hope in the midst of all that we face all around us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have played the game 20 questions? Anyone in here ever played the game 20 questions? How many of you are parents who inadvertently played the game 20 questions because you have children? Yeah, exactly, right? If you go on a family vacation, you are playing the game 20 questions in the car. How long till we get there? When are we stopping? What are we having for lunch? What are we gonna do when we get there? Like, I need to use the bathroom. When is the next rest stop? Just constant questions, 20 questions all the time. And finally you get to the point where you're like, stop asking questions, just sit there and don't talk. No more questions. Life is filled with questions. But not just when you're a child, is it? You and I, if God was around, we'd probably play 20 questions with God. In fact, I was thinking of this question as I was preparing the message, that today, right after church got done, what question would you ask God if you went out to lunch with him? If you said, you know, we're going out to lunch, and then Jesus showed up in your restaurant, sat down in your booth, and you got to ask him any question you wanted to, what question would you ask him today? Now, some of you would have pretty simple or easier questions like, God, how did you come up with the design for all of the animals that are out there? There are some funny-looking animals, God. How did you come up with that design? Some of you might ask some of those more ridiculous questions. God, can you actually create a rock so big you can't lift it? And the questions we should never ask, right? Just ridiculous questions. Or some of you might ask the question, God, what does heaven look like? I've always just wondered, is heaven, does it, is it filled with animals? Will my little pet be there? Like just tons of different questions. Some of you would have a whole lot heavier of questions. God, life is just not fair right now. And I've been working hard and I've been doing everything. I've been putting in long hours and the bills just keep piling up and and the car breaks down and something goes wrong in the house and I've been working so hard and it's not fair. Why is this happening to me? Why can't I catch a break? Why would you let fill in the blank happen when I've been faithful and I've been coming to worship and I've been following you? God, why would you take my child from me? God, why would my spouse get sick? Why are my parents gone? God, God, I can't can't handle this anymore. God, why are you working the way that you're working in my life? And then we start to think about how as Christians, we should have this strong and steadfast faith. And and we start to have this tension between, you know, I believe in you and I have this strong and steadfast faith, but there's all these questions that I have about why is the world the way it is? And why is my life the way it is? And why am I struggling with the things I'm struggling with? Should I have questions? Am I allowed to have questions? Should faith drive out my questions? Does faith leave room for questions? And and, and where, where do questions dwell? in the land of faith. That's what we're going to look at this morning. How does faith handle questions? 
And how does God deal with Christians who have questions in the midst of their faith? And the reason we're going to talk about this is because we're going to look at the story of Thomas, but we also see throughout the scriptures that God's people have always had questions of God. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, you're going to see people coming to Jesus constantly with questions. And usually they're one of two different kinds of questions. The first kind of questions are those questions that were used to seek to trap Jesus, such as the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, who was thrown at the feet of Jesus, and they said, we caught this woman in the act of adultery, what should we do with her? The Word of God says we should stone her, but what do you think, Jesus? And they were using those questions to try to trap Jesus so they could accuse him of something. That's not the type of questions we're going to look at today. The type of questions we're going to look at today were those soul-searching, faith-struggling questions that God's people had such as Abraham, who God came to and said, you're going to have a child, the long-for child that you've been longing for, the, the child of promise. And Abraham goes, are you kidding me? We're going to have a child. I'm 100. Sarai, my, my wife, is 90. What do you mean we're going to have a child? There's no way that could happen. Or Mary, who was told you're going to have a child, the son of God. And she goes, I'm a virgin. How's that going to work out? Or Zechariah who was told, you're going to have the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. He goes, me? My wife is barren. There, there's no way we're having children. Or John the Baptist, who time and time again pointed his disciples to follow Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. The one who comes after me is greater than me. And yet when John was found in prison... And Jesus was doing his ministry. As he was watching Jesus, he became uncertain and he sent some of his followers to Jesus and said, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Or is there another one that we should be watching for instead? Or the disciples who were in the boat with Jesus in the midst of the storm as Jesus is sleeping on the pillow in the bow of the boat. The disciples come to him and goes, how could you sleep? Don't you see we're perishing? Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? Or the man who in Mark chapter 9's daughter was demon-possessed and, and brought his daughter to the disciples and the disciples couldn't heal her. So finally they bring that, that little child to Jesus and, and Jesus, in, in hearing what's going on, hears the words of the man, the father, who says to him, if you can do anything, please help my child. And Jesus says, if? If I can, all things are possible with God. That word if, that's a question. And how many times do we use that word if with God? God, if you can help me through this, if you can heal my child, if you can help me figure out how to make ends meet, if, and we ask those questions just as God, as God's people have asked those questions of God throughout time. The question of God, I believe, Help me overcome my unbelief. And we all live with those questions. In fact, I believe that's why Thomas doubted as we read about in John chapter 20. I love Thomas. Thomas gets this wonderful nickname that has stuck with him for 2,000 years. Like if you think you had a nickname that stuck with you for a long time, Thomas's nickname, Doubting Thomas, and, and, and I think nobody wants that kind of a nickname, but that nickname stuck with him for 2,000 years. 
But I believe that there was a question that in Thomas's mind was left unanswered that was at the heart of why Thomas doubted in the midst of John chapter 20. In fact, I want to look at that question as we look at, John, at, at Doubting Thomas and his story. So if you would open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 13. We're going to jump back all the way back to John chapter 13 to see the question that Thomas wants answered. John chapter 13, page 900 in the Bibles in front of you. Now the context of what we're about to read is the Lord's Supper. It's the Passover, the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated when he instituted on that Monday, Thursday, the Lord's Supper and washed the disciples' feet and began to talk about how he would be betrayed and denied and would go to the cross. And we're gonna pick up our text in verse 31, John chapter 13, verse 31. When he had gone out, talking about Judas who went out to betray him, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Now this is going to be at the heart. That verse is going to be at the heart of everything that comes after this. Where I am going because I'm going to leave you, you cannot come. And then in verse 34, the text that we looked at a little bit last week in talking about reaching out in love, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Do you notice that Simon Peter missed everything else Jesus said in that moment? Jesus tells him to love others, and Jesus says about the Son of Man being glorified. But the only thing that Peter hears is, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't follow me. And Peter goes, Lord, where are you going? Because what we're going to see both in his words and Thomas's words is, is Jesus, we've followed you for three years. We've given up everything. We put our fishing nets aside. We put our tax collector booths aside. We put our families aside. We left everything, and we followed you. Wherever you ate, we ate. In the city that you slept, we slept in that same city. Where you walked, we walked. What you said, we have said. When you went up on the mountain, we faithfully waited for you. Or some of us went up with you during the transfiguration. Uh, when you spoke, we listened. When you did miracles, we watched. We were there for you three years. What do you mean you're going away? We will follow you anywhere. Just tell us where you're going. Draw us a map. Give us directions. We will follow you anywhere. So Peter starts asking the question, and Jesus answers him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Now, I, I want you to listen carefully through this text because we read this text with 21st century Christian lenses to it. And we go, like, Peter, Thomas, how foolish you are. Don't you know he's talking about heaven? Jesus does not mention heaven once in this text. Now once. So if you're sitting there at that Last Supper and you're listening to Jesus teach and Jesus says, I'm going away or where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but, I, but you will follow me afterwards. You're gonna show up later. You're probably wondering, what do you mean? Like, are you gonna send a boat for us? Will somebody come and tell us where you are? How, how's this gonna work? Because they don't have a heavenly perspective. They have a this world perspective. 
And Peter says to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? Like, I'll just walk with you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. He knew where their hearts were at that moment, troubled that he was saying, I'm leaving you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also be, and you know the way to where I am going. Now he starts to allude to heaven. He says, in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but they're still not going to get it. They're still saying, Jesus, you're going away. Tell us how to get there. In fact, this is what Thomas says. Listen to his words. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Did you hear Thomas's question? Jesus, you said you're going away and you're going to prepare a place for us. And you're going to come back and get us, but we can't follow you, but we'll follow you afterwards. But how are we supposed to get there if we don't know the way? Like there was this deep-seated care, love, clinging to Jesus. I can't lose you, Jesus. I need you. Wherever you go, I will follow you and, and I'm giving my life to come after you. Just tell me where you're going. That was the heart of Judas, a heart that loved Jesus so much that he said, just tell us and we will come after you. And now we see what happens with Judas when he realizes that Jesus is gone. He's dead. But Judas wasn't the only one who doubted, was he? When you think about it, all of the disciples doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. None of them were sitting at the tomb waiting for Jesus to show up. When it was found out, none of them thought that the women were truthful about this or, or understood what was going on when they went to the tomb, so much so that, that Peter and John had to run and check it out for themselves. And even then, they stayed in the upper room, huddled together behind locked doors. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, as Jesus is giving them the Great Commission, when they go up the mountain to spend time with Jesus, it says that they worship Jesus, but some of them doubted. Even in that moment, they still doubted. They still had questions. And so here is the text about Thomas. John chapter 20, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them, the ten disciples, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And we look at that text and go, Thomas, why, why wouldn't you believe? Well, what was Thomas asking for? Thomas was only asking for what the other disciples had already received, wasn't he? He said, look, you guys got to see it. Or so you say. You guys say that you spend time with Jesus. I'm just asking for the same thing. I'm just asking to see what you have already seen. See, for Thomas, seeing is believing. And for us, we live that way too, don't we? Like, I'll believe it when I see it. We tell our children that all the time. They'll come to us and say, my room is clean. Well, I'll believe it when I see it. My homework is done. 
let me see the homework, right? We do that all the time. Trust me, I will take care of this, says your spouse. I'll believe it when I see it. But that's the way of the world, is it not? That seeing is believing. We want proof. We want it right in front of us. And the other 10 disciples, they got that. And, And Thomas is just saying, show me, I wanna see what you've seen because I can't believe it otherwise. And I believe that the part of the reason Thomas struggled with this was because of how much he loved and clung to Jesus and said, says, I don't want you to go away. Where you're going, I will follow after you. I can't lose you, Jesus. And then after losing Jesus to death on the cross, he's basically saying, don't get my hopes up and tell me something that might not be true. I'm not gonna believe it until I see it because I don't wanna get my hopes up and have them dashed again. I'll believe it when I see it. But Jesus is gonna turn everything on its head in what he says next. Continuing in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Sometimes we skip over this, but I want you to just even look at those first three words. Eight days later. Can you imagine Thomas having to live with this for eight days? Sometimes we think maybe that was like eight hours later, maybe that night they showed up. No, eight days, Peter had, or Thomas had to live with the fact that the other 10 told him, Jesus is alive, we've seen him. And Thomas is going, is he alive? Is he not alive? I'm not sure I believe this. I haven't seen this. I don't know if it's possible. Like, what's going on? How could they say he sees him, but they're not? Like, what's going on? Like, eight days he had to live with this question mark. And Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it into my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Six times in these seven short verses we're going to look at, we hear about faith, belief, the heart of the foundation of our life, that which is at the core of being a Christian, not what we do, but what we believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now notice what it doesn't say Thomas did. It didn't say in that moment, Thomas had to reach out his hand and touch him and put his hand in the side. All it says is that in that moment when Jesus said, look at me, I am here. If you need to reach out and touch me, it says that Thomas looked at him and said, my Lord and my God. And in seeing Jesus, he believed. And then Jesus turns everything on his head and says, it's not blessed are those who see and believe, but blessed are those who believe and then see. Because the the kingdom of God, it is not seeing that is believing, but believing that is seeing. That by faith, we are able to see the work of God. By believing, we are able to understand the promises of God. By believing, we are able to receive all that God has given to us and that which he wants for us. We say, when I see, I will believe. And God says, when you believe, you will truly see. And that's what God calls us to. This is Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. 
In fact, that is what faith is. Faith is certainty in the midst of uncertainty. It is saying, I am not sure how this is going to work out, but God, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief in the midst of the uncertainty and the question marks that dwell in my life. Peter talks about this understanding of believing is seeing in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory as you obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, you haven't seen him, but you believe in him. And by, by believing in him, you see your salvation and all that God has in store for you. And then finishing up this, John says this. So now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And he reminds us that not only is believing seeing, but believing is receiving. That when you read God's word through faith, you receive all of the gifts that God has for you in his word, which is why we encourage you every day, spend time in God's word. Whether it's a few minutes or it's a few chapters, or you can sit down and do a Bible study, whether it is in a Bible study or in a small group, spend time in God's word because believing is receiving. It is by faith that we receive the forgiveness of sins given in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It is by faith that we receive sonship and daughtership through the waters of holy baptism. It is by faith we understand the promises of God to be true and we receive those promises of God. It's what Hebrews 11 continues to go on and say when it talks about the great men and women of the faith. And it says those men and women, they didn't receive what they saw, but they received that which they didn't see, but received it by faith. A land, a promised land that was set aside for them. Because it's not seeing that's believing, but believing that is seeing, and believing is receiving. And you and I, we will struggle with questions. We will struggle with the difficulties of life. We'll say, God, I know you promised that you will work all things for the good, but this really doesn't seem like it's very good right now. God, I know that you say you will be with me always to the very end of the age, but I feel very alone in this moment. God, I know you say that you are faithful and you are true and you are good, but you don't really seem very good right now because I am just going through so much pain and so many struggles and I don't get it. And we will struggle with questions. And God will not always give us the answers. We're not always going to have all the answers. Because the truth is, if you and I, if we had all of the answers to all of the questions that we needed answered in our life, then we wouldn't really need God because we'd have the answers ourselves. But God uses those questions not to draw us to unanswer, but to draw us to the one who is the answer. See, God will not always give us an answer, but God always gives us the one who is the answer. And then he asks you, is he enough? If your questions aren't answered, but you have Jesus, is that enough? If you don't know why you're going through those difficulties, if you don't know why you're going through those struggles, but you know that God is with you, that you know his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in your weakness, 
That you know the one who stands beside you and who is your strength in the midst of the brokenness of life. If you know that God is with you and you don't have an answer, but you have the one who is the answer, is that enough? Because it's in your questions that God draws you to himself and reveals his great love and grace and forgiveness that drives us deeper into his word seeking out his promises and clinging to them most tightly so that we may not receive an answer, but by faith, we will always receive the one who is the answer as we struggle through the questions and the difficulties of life, being reminded that in the midst of this world, Jesus is more than enough because his grace is sufficient for you and his power is made perfect in our weakness. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we struggle with questions. We doubt. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. And you call us, even in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions, to you. To the one who is our strength, our hope, our life to the one who offers to us forgiveness and empowers us by your grace. So Lord, when we have questions, strengthen us, draw us to you so that we are reminded we may never receive an answer to our questions, but we will always have the one who is the answer to all of our questions. And may that be to us more than enough. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.